Hello, hello, and welcome to Murder and Mediumship. If you didn't know, I'm your host, Katherine Gelvin, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. This is a special Patreon episode being released to you on your regular Monday. We interviewed Kurt Cobain after telling his death story on a regular episode, and if you would like to be a part of an experience like this, then go ahead and join the Patreon. This is at the $23 tier. We do an interview each month, and at the end of April, we will be focusing on Al Capone. Very excited for that one. And the Patreon actually supports uh, smaller charities, smaller communities that we are looking to donate to, and... In the first quarter of 2022, we were able to raise over $1,000 for the Black, Queer, and Intersectional Community of Columbus, Ohio. So this community is a grassroots collective working toward a world where Black, LGBTQIA plus people can live safe, healthy, and flourishing lives. They are grassroots, so they rely primarily on donations to fund their work. And of course, a link to check out that organization is in the bio, in the, excuse me, in the show notes as well as links to all of the resources for this episode. I am so excited to be donating $1,050 to this organization, and this is because of y'all pledging the show. So even if you're on the $5 tier, what you're doing is creating a difference in the lives of others, and that is so, so exciting and really just melts my heart to know that this work matters to to someone because it's going to help other people. I digress. Coming in May of 2022, the link is live now in my bio on Instagram and on TikTok and of course, excuse me, on the show notes. But in May of 2022, I am launching a private membership community dedicated to creating safe space for intuitives stepping into their gifts. We'll have bi-weekly psychic and mediumship practice circles, weekly intuitive tips and education on manifestation as well as energetic hygiene, which is so, so important. So go ahead and click click in the show notes to be alerted to this beauty launching on May 1st, 2022. And now what I am going to play for you is the case of Kurt Cobain. Was it a murder or suicide? And if it was a murder, who do I think would be responsible? Y'all enjoy the show. Thank you so much. On April 8th, singer and songwriter Kurt Cobain was found dead in his Seattle, Washington home. The cause was an apparent suicide. And while this is a story that many people know and even many conspiracies, there are many conspiracies around, we're going to set it up, if possibly, as we don't really know who the legendary Kurt Cobain is. On the afternoon of April 8th, an electrician, Gary Smith, after he was called to work on the property earlier that day, and I've talked about this before, but the difficult thing with cases that are this well-known is that there's always plenty of variations of what really has happened, um, a lot of different scenarios, and just little things that vary from story to story. So depending on where you see your sources, you'll see that um, Gary was called out to install a security system in the greenhouse over the garage of Cobain's home, while in other sources, I've heard he was there to work on the lighting. Regardless, Smith would say would receive the shock of a lifetime when he opened the door to go inside and saw Kurt Cobain's body laying there, assumedly asleep, until he noticed that the blood pooling there was blood pooling around his body. He would also notice the famed suicide note, and if you can see me, we're doing air quotes here, sitting on an upturned planter with a red pen stabbed through it. The note itself was addressed to his childhood friend, 
who his, excuse me, his childhood imaginary friend. And I'm actually going to read the note here to Boda speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be an emasculated infantile complainee. This note should be pretty easy to understand. All the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and the, and, and the embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now, and I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love, relish, and in the love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is, I can't fool you, any one of you. It simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch-in-time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it, and I do, God believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists who only appreciate things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music, but I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and the empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces. Jesus, Jesus, man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death racker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful. But since the age of seven, I've become hateful toward all humans in general only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy, only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore, and so remember, it's better to, to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. And I know that this note itself has a lot of controversy surrounding it. But I will say from the get-go on this note is that, yes, I do believe he wrote it, but most of it. I believe the last four lines were absolutely added by someone else and made to look like he wrote it. The quote note was more of a rambling that was intended to be kind of like a dear diary type thing, but being that most of what he was writing at the time was depressing and about feeling disconnected, it likely wasn't difficult to find a passage that could have been passed off as a suicide note. And and this is, I again, just would like to say that if you really are completely unaware of who Kurt Cobain was and that sort of thing, then maybe you do a little bit of background research before fully diving into this episode because we're basically covering man was found dead in home 
like suspected suicide and the police really didn't do their due diligence in this investigation. So we're just going to kind of break it down a little bit. All right. So the note felt more like a dear diary type thing to me. And when police arrived on the scene, they entered Kurt's greenhouse and found him with a shotgun laying across his chest with a fatal gunshot wound to the head. Now, next to his body was also his heroin kit, obviously a kit with everyone that everyone, oh my goodness, a kit with everything one needs to use heroin. And I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. He had needles in there. He had a lighter. He had all sorts of crap in there. His ID was also sitting nearby in his wallet. And there's speculation as to whether or not it was left out for easy access by a police officer to just kind of like, oh, this is Kurt Cobain, or if it was something that an officer had slipped out and kind of left there and it wasn't noted by law enforcement that it had been already investigated or something. So it would be breaking news within hours that Kurt Cobain was found dead of a fatal self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. It really, there wasn't even time to fully process the scene and it was already being put out to the public that he had killed himself. And this actually resulted in a lot of copycat suicides, which I think is another reason that a lot of people wanted to prove that it was a murder, not a suicide, so that these copycat suicides would stop. But anyway, there um, there are a lot of theories about how he died or who killed him or if he was killed or if it was really a suicide or if it was an accidental overdose and whatever. Obviously, it wasn't an accidental overdose. He was shot, right? So... With that being said, we could really pour into each and every single one of these for seriously hours upon hours. But what I'm going to do is just kind of let you know what I feel about this intuitively. So if we backtrack a little bit, Kurt had only arrived back in Seattle a few days prior. On March 3rd of that same year, weeks prior, Kurt had been hospitalized in Rome for overdosing on painkillers and champagne. And this was determined to be accidental, but his then wife, Courtney Love, came out after his death, after his death in April, saying that this hospitalization was actually a product of his first attempted suicide. My feelings here, I don't believe that he was trying to kill himself. I think that he was messed up and took too many painkillers while drinking too much alcohol. Irresponsible? Absolutely, yes. Intentional and suicidal? Not in my opinion, at least not intuitively. Courtney was the one to actually call for help and had let others know that Kurt was dead. He overdosed, except Kurt lived to tell this tale, if not even for only a short few months more. However, and this has been speculated, people have asked if she was going to kill him, if it was Courtney who had him murdered or murdered him herself or whatever, then why in this instance where he had overdosed, would she not have just said, okay, he's gone. Cool. We're done here. Um, And honestly, I think that it was that moment that he OD'd that she realized that she could probably live a much easier and better life without him. And when she was that close to having it, I think she then realized that that was what she wanted. So in that moment, it wouldn't have clicked for her because later was when it started to make sense to her that that would have been the best case scenario. Um, It's also speculated that he was looking to divorce her. And that would have been another instance where if she had, if, if he passed, then she wouldn't have to worry about losing everything. Whereas if he divorced her, they had a prenuptial agreement and she would have lost everything. 
So Courtney was the one to actually call for help and his detachment to those around him and his fans led them to kind of, they held an intervention for him. So this intervention kind of backfired from what I understand. It kind of irritated him more. It really had him frustrated. He's, he's not an addict. He's not an addict. And those close to him really kind of expressed that he didn't believe that he wasn't in control of his heroin use. So it was stated by many that he had an incredibly high tolerance to the drug itself. So when we later find out that he had three times the amount of a lethal dose in his body at the time of his death, it really didn't deter some from believing that he still could have operated that shotgun. Um, and I've had very few experiences with people using heavy drugs, but there's one instance in particular that I can recall taking a coworker in to work with me. And he, at the time I didn't realize, but soon found out that he was using heroin and I can still see him like nodding forward and falling asleep mid-sentence in the car with me. And just knowing that those are the effects and to have physically witnessed it myself, I can't really believe that someone would be able to operate a firearm like that, especially have it positioned the way that Kurt positioned it and, and all of that. But I mean, again, it's, it's really, that's more my opinion, not so much my, um, mediumship and, uh, intuitive opinion there. So I digress, but it, it's totally feasible that Kurt could, is it, is it feasible that he could have killed himself? Sure. I mean, he was addicted to heroin. He had just left rehab and part of our backtrack that we got sidetracked from, on March 30th, he purchased a Remington shotgun, the weapon at the scene, but he had to have his friend Dylan Carlson actually make the purchase because all of his guns had been seized by police in a prior incident unrelated to suicide. I think it was more of a domestic, but then he went the next day to Seattle Tacoma International Airport and flew to LA to check into the rehab in Marina Del Rey. He wasn't there for long, though. I, I feel like it was literally the next day he checked out. And by checked out, I mean he scaled a six-foot wall and left. He could have literally walked in and said, I'm done here, and left. But he scaled a six-foot wall, and off he went. So it said that Courtney then turned off all of his credit cards. She was worried about him. She didn't want him using, so she turned off all his credit cards. What I find interesting about this is that if she didn't want him using, she also at the same time was still using and the people around her were all actively using. So he comes back to Seattle. <clears throat> he manages to get a flight back, I guess, before his credit cards are all shut off. And he immediately goes to score some heroin from the Crest Mobile Trailer Park and then headed to the Marco Polo Motel to shoot up in room 226. Well, on the 3rd of April, he was spotted outside of Carl's Jr. for a burger and was likely getting heroin there as well. He had a dealer right around the corner. And in my research, I found that he was doing over $400 of heroin a day. So I'm not really sure how much heroin that is. I don't know what the cost of it is. I don't know what the cost would have been back in the 90s. But I imagine that $400 of heroin a day is a freaking lot of heroin. Further, if he had no access to money, how was he getting his drugs or paying for his motel stay? I think he still had access to cash, just not through the avenues that Courtney had shut off, whether it was borrowing or or letting people, I don't, I don't know. I feel like he must have had some sort of line of revenue coming in that she didn't have access to.
And after that, it's more or less radio silence. The story goes that Courtney tried to get in touch with him but couldn't and ultimately reports him missing to the police department on March 7th and also hires a PI, of which I will say, go watch his documentary, Soaked in Bleach, because it's pretty good. Um, I know it's only one, one person's perspective of how everything went down, but this was the PI hired by Courtney Love, who ended up turning against her, essentially saying that he thought she was in some way responsible for this crime. However, in that it was actually a crime, not just a suicide by March 7th, though, he's actually already, um, he's already dead in the greenhouse above the, sorry, just muting real fast. Okay, sorry. All right, so someone's having trouble getting on and off the Zoom call. If you're re-listening, this is a Patreon live experience. All right, so... By March 7th, he's already dead in his greenhouse above the garage at one of his homes in Washington. And I've read that Courtney was actually only living about 10 to 20 minutes away from here. So I don't know if that's 100% true or not. But what I do know is that he made it, he came all the way back to Seattle and he had nothing to do with seeing his wife or his child. And, and if she knew he was back there, I don't understand why she never checked that home or why she didn't check the greenhouse. No one looked there ultimately. So why would they not have found him there? Why would police not have gone out there to check on him and go above into the greenhouse? She, you'd think that if there was real concern, you would have expressed all of the areas to be searched. You would have made them be known. Anyway, you guys, we could go on and on here. And truthfully, I wasn't even sure how much of these theories I wanted to get into. But his death was officially ruled a suicide after very little investigation. The private investigator that Courtney hired turned against her and didn't trust that she had nothing to do with his death. She maintains that he committed suicide, and many others maintain that she had everything to do with it. As he was telling others that he was ready to divorce her, and she had been looking for a lawyer to, quote, destroy him and his prenuptial agreement with her. If he left her, she got nothing. If he died, she inherited everything. And again, that's as deep as I'm going to go there. What do I see? I feel that one, shoddy police work was done in this case. The police assumed it was a suicide and didn't look any further into it. He was high as hell on heroin, depressed, and shot himself. That's what they saw. The truth? I believe that she made sure that his buddy, or her buddy, combination of the two, a mutual friend that maybe wasn't so mutual, got him higher than he was aiming to be, set that gun up in Kurt's hands, and pulled the trigger for him. Courtney supplied the drugs and boots on the ground, but didn't get her own hands dirty at all. That is how I see it. And when I say that someone else got him higher, what I'm seeing is that like he intentionally shot up. That was without a doubt. And they kind of, I mean, it would have been easily assumed that he would have done that. If you guys hear background noise, it is my cone-headed dog walking into everything that she can right now for attention. Um, I will not be editing that out. So when, when I... Say boots on the ground too. I feel that there was someone who was physically with him in that space who made sure that everything was lined up the way that it needed to be lined up, except that they didn't do a very good job of it. It's just that police didn't really investigate it, which they probably kind of banked on. It, it wasn't hard to believe that this person would have done something like that, especially if you're on the outside and you don't have a real connection to him. So when I connected with Kurt, I heard 
And honestly, this is funny too. It's funny how spirit works. When I decided to do this case and knowing that I would release it this week, it didn't even occur to me that his actual, um, the day that he actually would have died would have been April 4th or 5th. And when they found him was the 8th, right? So we're releasing this right around the time that he would have been found in all of this was happening, which like the anniversary of it, which I think is wild. When I connected with him, I heard very clearly, why would I shoot myself if I could just overdose, go out numb, you know? Why would I choose that for myself? I wouldn't. I also had the image of one man's feet in boots, like black boots, injecting him with more heroin and placing the gun in Kurt's hands. I do not believe that Kurt intended to kill himself. The letter... I think he wrote some of it, like I said, but not all of it. That bar, that bottom part of the letter was not his. It was added to it after the fact, and the letter itself was planted. Kurt Cobain was absolutely murdered, and the answer is too obvious with this one. But if you've listened to other cases, you know that what I think and what I see don't always line up. But in this case, they absolutely do. And with that, I would like to open it up to questions. Please feel free to pop off your microphone or to type them in the chat. Either way, I will answer them. Was he open to talking with you? Okay. I don't know what's happening with audio, so I'm just going to read your questions if that's okay with you guys. Um, Was he open to talking with me? It was... I wouldn't say open is the best word possible for it, but he shared a little bit. So typically, and I don't have my notes in front of me to show you, but typically I'll get like a page that I can really see a lot of what's going on. Um, With him, it was more a few snippets and that was it. But it's not like it was that he was super closed off. It's just, I feel like it's, There's the belief that people, when they, when spirits, when you leave your body and you go to the other side, that you're fully healed immediately. And we've talked about this before on the show. And I don't believe that that is true. I think it's kind of bullshit. Honestly, I think it takes some time sometimes. And I feel that that's the case with him. Um, Did he feel betrayed or resigned? Um, Let's see. I feel like betrayed would be a good word for it because what I'm seeing too is him showing how like Courtney was in music before they got together right I believe that's how they met was through the music industry but I feel like what he's showing me is how high she went and a lot of it had to do with his death like she skyrocketed after his death and that would not have happened had he been alive because he was outshining her And he didn't really give a shit about outshining or being like top dog or anything like that. He just wanted to make music and to connect to other people who felt alone. That was the only thing that he got out of his music was helping other people feel not so alone. But he also didn't want to connect with those people. He just wanted them to know that they weren't in it alone, if that makes sense. I don't think it's ever really going to come fully to the surface either because the police really want nothing to do with showing any kind of their own 
shortcomings or, or the way that they kind of jacked the investigation to begin with. And I think that anything that could be brought to the surface about it is just going to be continually shut down because they get to say, oh, conspiracy theorists over and over again when there's really so much more to it than that. How does he feel now? What was his transition like? It's interesting because the first thing I heard was like what I saw was like a lot of blue and like um, almost like you would see if you're like floating in the clouds. And what he shows me is it's like the best high that he's ever had because it's peaceful and he's never felt peace before. Um, he feels like he still believes the world is as cruel of a place as it was when he was here. Um, And he wants to say that he would have done a better job by, by Francis, but that he, he doesn't think that he would have been able to in this state being there. Now he sees that he, he sees what he could have and should have done differently, but that he wouldn't have been any good for her there. Not that Courtney is either though. Um, is the person who actually pulled the trigger still alive? I keep hearing yes and no, which makes me feel like there were more than there was more than one other person involved. But I would say. Like I see two like two sets of male feet and um, two sets of two sets of male feet and one set of female feet, not to say that they were all physically there, but that like that's who was involved. And I feel like. The one who was physically there, who physically touched the gun, feels to me like he may not still be alive. One of them is dead. One of them is dead and the other is alive. Um... But none of them are talking either. And the thing is, is that she knew their credibility was, was fucked because they were all drug addicts. So no one was going to listen to them anyway. So they had zero credibility to begin with. Does he know how profound his music went on to be? I was curious how he felt about Francis too. Okay. Does he know how profound his music went on to be? I knew then is what I hear immediately. I knew then. And I think that like when you say that, I actually just got chills. But when I say that, when I speak that, what I feel is like. That's part of the heaviness that was on him. He felt this responsibility for all of these people, all of these young people who had no direction. And he felt like he was he was taking on. That I believe he was an empath. I believe a lot of drug addicts are empaths and they just don't know 
how to cope with that. And that's why they numb out with drugs. But excuse me, wholeheartedly, I feel like this heavy boulder on my chest when I ask that question. And it feels to me like he knew how profound his music was and he knew how big they were. And that was, there was no way he wasn't going to sabotage it because he couldn't handle all of that. He couldn't handle it and he didn't want it. And he just, he, he almost like, I feel like he wished that he never got famous. Dave was made for that. That's what I'm hearing. Dave was made for that. I wasn't made for this. It was better when he was some punk in a garage is what, what he feels like. Does he know how incredible his little bean turned out with her kindness and her art? She does. He sees everything. And I, I asked like, is there anything that you would want to share with her? And he said, just stay out of it. Just stay out of it. Just stay out of any of it. Stay clear of all of it. Don't get involved. And I, I feel like that's kind of what she's also been told by her mom. Don't get involved. There's, there's nothing for you to know that won't kind of bring harm to you or cause problems for you. Just kind of stay in your own lane. Um, and I think that's around the, the knowledge that there's more to his death than, than she wanted, her mom wanted them to believe. It's funny because I feel like this like tiny little podcast never is never going to get to the ears of someone like that, right? But at the same time, there's a nervousness to say too much because I feel like she, if you try to look into conspiracies around her and what she had done to him there's not much out there that you can find really easily. And we, like everybody knows it, but there's, there's this like whole kind of like a, a not some, like a serious joke that anything that hits the internet, she makes sure it gets taken down. She pays someone off or she does whatever she has to do to make sure that the conspiracies around her stay quiet. I think that's, that's interesting and scary, but also interesting. Um, I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into. And I also think that she made sure that she kept him stressed and kept him sick and kept him high. I don't think she really wanted him healthy. I think that she had him where she needed him. I think she was a lot smarter than she let a lot of people believe that she was. Yeah, no one talking. anyone else have any questions? Codependency. Yeah, for sure. Codependency. Um, I watched a documentary. There was a former nanny girl that was scared to speak out. Yeah, no, everyone was afraid to speak out. Everyone was. And I mean, look, the thing is that it's funny because they keep wanting to say LA police and I know it wasn't LA police, but I get the same. I think it's because it's the same vibe. There was just like this dirtiness to it that it was very clear. I think that something that people forget is that especially when you get into celebrity crap and, and more well-known cases like this, it's not unrealistic to think that the police are involved in anything. 
police do get involved in cover-ups. I'm not saying that was necessarily 100% the case here, but to be paid off, you're not talking about a police department. You're talking about a couple of people within a department who agree to not say something or who are paid off. And that could be all that it takes. It's not necessarily like a whole departmental takedown. It's just a couple of, of what is it, like bad apples who, who make it happen. Will he come back as an artist? I heard I already have. I don't, Sabrina, I love that you're nodding your head because I don't dip into reincarnation kind of stuff too often to like talk about future lives, past lives, that kind of thing. But I heard I already have. Can you tell us where he is? Like a child. He's in a child's body right now. He's young still. Um, but I feel like his art is going to be more physically seen and less heard. Yeah. It's going to be more visual. And I don't think he's in, it's funny, people talk about reincarnation, they automatically, I feel like people are always like, oh, they're in India or they're like, they're in New York City or something like completely just like off the wall. But I feel like he will be, it'll be more of like a European atmosphere. It'll be something less intense somewhere like, like a quieter, a quieter existence where he can just kind of be himself and kind of heal from the lessons that he learned in his last life. So dope for sure. (laughs) Are there any other questions? I'm going to cap it in a couple of minutes. Hopefully this recorded because I do see like, I don't know what happened with this. I blame the energy. It's funny. I definitely got like all in the mood for it today too. I was jamming out to Nirvana all morning, dancing around, listening to it getting mad at myself forever liking Courtney loves music like <laughs> just going through all the motions um okay does he miss being in that apparent with his apparent with apartment with does he miss being in that apartment with his first love Angie is that what you're asking yes okay <laughs> yes. I have lots of friends who are terrible textures so you're good with the typos here we got you um I don't think that there's much that he really misses. I think he had this really like kind of esoteric existence in even in living. He, he just didn't like, I don't think he really misses that. I think it was fun. It was great, but it wasn't no experience was really anything and anything he ever thought was going to be something great kind of let him down. Is there any advice he's willing to give us? When you're coming on to a crossroads in your life, you've got to go with your gut. Not what anyone else wants you to do, go with your gut. He thinks that it, like, okay, he, it was fun, it was great, but it was not what I wanted. And what I wanted when I had her, I wanted 
to leave. I feel like it, he's referencing um, Francis when he had his daughter. He wanted to be done. Okay, basically he's saying, first off, like, he's talking about his music and how music doesn't mean the same thing that it used to, how there's too much, there's not enough emotion and it's all about the fame and getting in there and getting famous made him see that his messages were all being lost. He wanted to do deeper work. He wanted to do more meaningful work. So if you feel like you're spinning your wheels where you are now, then you got to get moving because life is too short and too fast and all the all the big shit is wrapped up in the tiny shit and you miss it when you're just trying to live for everybody else. Um, so pay, pay more attention to what you want and not what people around you want you to want or want you to do. Um, and tune out more. Did he ever meditate? Um, not in the traditional sense. Um, but he experienced deep thought meditation in the way that like you associate with traditional meditation. It's almost like he kind of lived there in that space. Um, All right, my homies. We are going to thank him. I would love to do a session of just like one-offs with him for a whole night too. That would be awesome. All right. And thank you all for being on here. I'm going to stop the recording and hopefully <laughs> it recorded. Otherwise, we in trouble. I'm in trouble. You're not in trouble. And y'all have a good night. And I...